middle of a series called Acts, Church Starts Now. And we're looking at the book of Acts and how as Jesus sent his apostles, sent his disciples to, to start the church, uh, the reason that we're sitting here today, that we can sit here today, is because of the works and the boldness and the power through the Holy Spirit that these early Christians, early Jesus followers, did. God called them to be obedient in a lot of different ways, and we're looking at the story as how it unfolds, how church started. So we are here today because of the work that God did through his disciples quite some time ago. And this morning, we're kind of jumping into the middle of a story. For the past couple of weeks, we've been looking at this encounter uh, where Peter and John show mercy and heal a paralyzed man. And so, if this, like I said, if this is your first time here, it's actually a pretty good week because we're kind of wrapping up the story, but we're going to take a look back at how we got to the point that we're at in the middle of the story. And before we do that, though, uh, how many of you, by a show of hands, have ever truly been amazed or astonished at something? Something has amazed you. Now, I'm not talking about just your first Chick-fil-A experience, because that is amazing. I know it. I've, I've watched the, the amazement on people's faces as they tried it for the first time. Uh, but no, I'm talking about truly being amazed. Truly being amazed and astonished at something. And, and I wanted even to, to like make sure I had the definition right, because our, I feel like our culture just does not use these words correctly. Like you, eat a, you like drink a milkshake, you're like, wow, this is amazing. It's not. It tastes good, but it's not amazing. So being amazed or astonished is to be filled with sudden and overpowering surprise or wonder. And when you put it into that context, it's a little bit different. Uh, it's, it's not tasty Chick-fil-A food. It's not something cool that you see, but it's something that truly stops you where you are and, and it kind of changes you a little bit. And I'm sure all of you guys can think of experiences of things that have amazed you or astonished you. And I, I started thinking about what, what, looking back on my life, what are some of the things, you know, obviously one of the, the very first one that came to mind is when, when I got married and when the doors opened in the back of the chapel and I could see my wife come in, I was, I was amazed. Or the birth of, of my children where nine months of, of all of the expectation and the waiting and the hope and, and then, then your children are, are there. And, and one of my favorite stories that I'm going to share with you uh, happened about a year and a half ago. Not this past summer, but the summer before at Zealmania. Have you been to Zealmania? It's craziness downtown. All right, so there was Superhero Week at Zealmania where kids and families can go, and you can do different activities and get your face painted and go check out a fire truck and climb on it. Uh, but in my house, one of the things that my kiddos were excited about was meeting the superheroes. And one in particular, Supergirl. All right, we're big Supergirl fans in our house. And, uh, and so Sydney and Piper, they were wearing their Supergirl costumes because we had to make sure that we were dressed like Supergirl to, to meet Supergirl. Uh, and we were walking along and we saw the Disney princesses and those were cool, the line was long, so we didn't wait for the Disney princesses, but we finally saw Supergirl. And she was standing by the post office, she was taking pictures with the kids and like my children were just utterly amazed, stopping our track. They were so amazed that like at, at first they didn't even want to get close to Supergirl, because they actually saw her for the first time, and they're like, whoa, like, this is, this is Supergirl. Like, did everybody else see what's going on? Like, Supergirl is right there. They were amazed. They were astonished. They were full of awe and wonder that Supergirl happened to swing by and stop in Zeeland, Michigan, for Zealmania. 
And so after a while, we had to work up the courage. We had to go do some of the activities uh, before we could actually go up and take a picture with Supergirl. And I, and I love thinking about it. It's, sitting the, it's a picture sitting in, in Sydney's room on, on her board of a picture of Sydney and Piper being, being held with, with Supergirl. And Supergirl gave Sydney some great advice. And they were, she was curious about, like, why isn't she flying? What, like, what's going on? And she told Sydney that she wouldn't be able to fly until she was 16. So Sydney has not tried to fly quite yet. But come 16, we'll see what happens. Um, but I love that story because it is a, it's a, just a great picture of, of just innocent amazement and astonishment. And we're going to see a moment of, of amazement in this encounter today. This moment is a powerful moment. This moment changes things, changes the perspective of how the religious leaders are seeing this movement of Jesus' followers unfold before their eyes. And so to give us some context, we're just not, we're, we're, we're a matter of months from Jesus being put on trial, all right? His disciples are watching Jesus put on trial. They've seen all the miracles. They've seen all of the amazing things that he's done, but here he is. He's put on trial. He's, he's beaten. He's content. He's condemned to death, hung on a cross, and he dies, Apostles are, are scared. They're fearful. Peter denies Jesus that he even knows him because he, he, he's afraid of what might happen to him if he's known to have associated with Jesus. The one, their leader, the person who they thought was the Messiah, that he said he was the Messiah. He said he was like, he, he was the son of God, but the one that they thought who, who was it, like was going to restore the kingdom is, is dead. Then three days later, what Jesus said was going to happen, happened, came true. He rose from the dead. He appeared to the disciples and many others. He ascended into heaven, calling his disciples, hey, I want you to stay in Jerusalem. I want you to stick around, even though it's probably not the safest place to hang out for them at the time, um, promising that the Holy Spirit will, will come. Then in Acts 2, you kind of see at the beginning of Acts is where they're sticking around in Jerusalem and they're praying and they're figuring out what they're supposed to do. They have 11, they need 12, so they cast lots and they get this new guy. And, and then people are kind of still unsure, of like, well, what do we do? And then the Holy Spirit comes at, at Pentecost. And what happens is this, the disciples are filled with the Holy Spirit. A new kind of boldness exists, a new kind of power exists, and a new message for the world. And that message is going to be repeated over and over in the book of Acts. And Peter says it beautifully, what we heard last week, is that salvation is found in no other name than Jesus. And so, we're jumping into the middle of the story. If you're with me, we're going to, we're going to kind of start all the way back. We're going to go back towards the beginning of chapter 3. as we kind of jump into this encounter. Now, I, I love a good movie. I've told you guys that before. I love a good story. I love the drama. I like when things are just like kind of working towards just a great moment in the movie. Maybe it's a, something, it overcomes a, a, something that's fearful or hard or like the underdog story of a team winning. This is an incredible drama. Like if, if anybody who ever says the Bible is boring, they've just not read it right. Because this story, I would love to watch this movie. Because what we see is this incredible story of two ordinary guys who spent time with Jesus going into the lion's den and poking him. And I love it. It's this beautiful picture of boldness uh, that, that exists. And now we know Peter. We've looked at Peter when we studied First Peter, when we studied uh, in the past few weeks. Peter 
He's not afraid to share what's on his mind. And one of the things I've noticed is that about Peter is his, uh, his wisdom has grown since receiving the Holy Spirit, which is a good thing. But sometimes Peter would say things you're like, Peter, what, what are you doing? But Peter's boldness grows because of the Holy Spirit. And so back to the beginning, Peter and John are going to the temple. Uh, they're walking up to go pray as a, as a good Jew would do at the, at little in the early on in the afternoon. And they see this man who had been lame from birth. And most of the other people are walking by. They're, they're leaving him be. They're saying, you know, I, I, don't, I, don't, I can't touch him because he's unclean. I don't want to be around him. Even the, the religious leaders and, and, and the Pharisees, they were like, no, we, we can't him. Peter and John walk up, and they show mercy to this man. And here is, is some of the things that Peter and John say during this encounter that I just think is amazing. First, he says, look at us. I don't have silver or gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up and walk. That's powerful. This guy, he's sitting here, he's been sitting here. We learn later in the story that he's over 40 years old. This is not a new occurrence for him. People walk by him every day and don't even give him an eye. But here are these two guys who probably look just like everybody else walk up and saying, listen, I can't give you what you're, what you're after. I know you're after some money. We can't give you that, but what we can give you is something far greater. What I want you to do is I want you to get up and to walk. And we heard a couple weeks ago, this, he, he gets up. It works. And he's amazed, and he's jumping for joy, and he's running around, and, and he's causing some commotion. And I love this. And so people are starting to gather. People are starting to wonder, like, what, what has happened? We know that guy. Like, we don't look at him. We just pass by. We know him, yet here he is running around praising God for for this miracle that occurred. And Peter, I'd imagine he has got a little bit of a smirk on his face when he says this. He says, fellow Israelites, why are you amazed at this? Why do you stare at us as though we had made him walk, made him walk by our own power or godliness? I think it's kind of funny, because I would imagine people standing there saying, well, well, Peter, you just told the guy to walk, and he, and he walked. That's why we're, we're amazed. But Peter, in his wisdom, after receiving the Holy Spirit, he knows what he's doing. He knows that he's about to set them up for an explanation of something that's going to be world-rocking. And before he does this, I would imagine in his mind he's remembering something. It wasn't that long ago that he had a conversation. The disciples and Jesus were in the upper room before Jesus was going to be taken away. And Jesus said these words. He says, I assure you, the one who believes in me will also do the works that I do. And he will do even greater works than these, because I am going to the Father. Whether you, whatever you ask in my name, I will do it, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. So here Peter, he asks this question, like, hey, why are you looking at me like I'm, I'm the one who did it? I'm about to tell you who did it. I'm about to tell you where the glory belongs in this situation. I'm about to show you what all this means. And he goes into it. He says, The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our ancestors. So they're in the temple. He's saying, hey, you guys are good Jews. You know these people. You know who I'm talking about. That God, that is the God who gets the glory, has glorified his servant Jesus whom you handed over and denied before Pilate, though he had declared to release, or had decided to release him. You denied the holy and righteous one and asked to have the murderer released to you. 
You killed the source of life whom God raised from the dead. We are witnesses of that. By faith in his name, his name has made this man strong, whom you see and know. So the faith that comes through Jesus has given him this perfect health in front of you all. And I love it. I love it. This picture, I, I just imagine, like, if, if anybody were to, to kind of be in the audience, it would just be an incredible thing to watch. To see this man go from broken to healed and realize as they're standing in the temple, these two ordinary guys, these are not Pharisees, these are not rabbis, these are not people who've spent time following rabbis or learned. These, are, these look just like everybody else, but here they are speaking and saying, listen, Jesus, whom you guys got it wrong, he is the one who gets the glory. The power comes from him. And of course, as you can imagine, standing in, in, in the temple, the religious leaders hear the commotion. They hear what's going on. They, they maybe even overhear some of the words that Peter and John are saying, and they're, and they're a little frustrated. They're like, whoa, 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 they can't, we can't have this in here. We can't uh, have these people going around saying something other than what we teach them. And so the religious leaders, they, they capture them. They arrest him. And, of course, they bring this healed guy with them because you see in the later in the story, he's standing right next to them. And then they get into the Sanhedrin. The religious leaders are there. I think it's pretty funny. They mention a couple of names. It says, The next day the rulers, the elders, and scribes assembled in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest, Caiaphas, John Alexander, and all the members of the high priestly fa family. So Annas and Caiaphas are, are, are not unfamiliar with this story. In fact, these two names are even mentioned in, in the trial of Jesus. And so they're standing before guys that they know have hung out with Jesus, know have spent time with Jesus while he was doing his ministry. They are right there with them, putting these two guys on trial. And then they ask this question. By what power or in what name have you done this? Now a little pop quiz for you. Knowing the story... Right, knowing just what he said, what's what's the one word Sunday school answer that Peter and John could have gave? Jesus. What is it? Jesus. Right. That would have been correct if nobody was paying attention. Just perked up. Uh, uh, Jesus. They would have been correct. But Peter and Don, Peter and John didn't say just Jesus. And I think it's, I think it's pr pretty, pretty fascinating what they say. It picks up in, in 8, verse 8, chapter 12. And he says, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today about a good deed done to a disabled man, by what means he was healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified and whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing here before you healthy. This Jesus, the stone rejected by you builders, which has become the cornerstone. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to people by which we must be saved." So Peter didn't just stick with the one-word Sunday school answer. He went in and, and he poked the lion a little bit. He said, Jesus is the one, the guy that you crucified, but God raised from the dead. The text that you know back in Psalm 118, now it wasn't maybe Psalm 118 when they were talking about it, back in the Psalms, the, the, the cornerstone, the person that you, uh, you guys got it wrong. 
You, you think you know your, your religious text. You think you know the law and the prophets, but you guys got it wrong. And here is the truth, that there is no other name under heaven given to people by which we must be saved. Salvation is found in Jesus alone. And here we get to this moment. We pick it up in verse, uh, I'm sorry, verse 13. It says, when they observed the boldness of Peter and John and realized that they were uneducated and untrained men, they were amazed. And this moment in time, this moment in this encounter, these religious leaders are standing there listening to this, what, G, what Peter and John have to say, all the while standing right next to them is the guy who had been lame for 40 years. They are amazed. And if you know anything about the Pharisees, know anything about the religious leaders of this time, you would know that this is probably not an ordinary response that they would have had. If you just look at the trial of Jesus, here they are standing in front of them, telling them that they're wrong, telling them that they don't know what they're talking about, and telling them that the Messiah that they think is not Jesus is, and they're amazed. Now, I think what should have happened is they should have gotten angry. They said, whoa, whoa, these guys are just blaspheming. Like, they've got it all wrong. They're coming into our temple and telling us that we're got it wrong. Like, we need to, like, stone these guys. We need to flog these guys. Let's hang them on a cross like Jesus did. Let's, let's finish this off once and for all. But no. They were amazed. And I love the second part. They were amazed and recognized that they had been with Jesus. And it wasn't just, a, oh, well, they hang out together. We saw them at a local restaurant sitting at a table. No, it wasn't that they had physically been with Jesus. It's the, the fact that they are speaking with authority. They are speaking as they have been influenced by the power that is in the name of Jesus. Now, I think back to uh, early on in, in, in the ministry of Jesus, there's this moment as as Jesus has began to teach, he, he calls his first couple of disciples, he'd been baptized, and he goes into the synagogues, and he starts telling people about God, telling the people about the good news, calling people to, to repent and believe in, in, in God. And the religious leaders of that time said, whoa, 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 look at this guy. He speaks as one who has authority. And Peter and John empowered by the Holy Spirit, are speaking as though they have authority and relying on the truth that Jesus says that you guys are going to do even greater things than me. Because when I'm going, I'm sending you the Holy Spirit, so the power that you have comes from God. Peter and John, in this moment, have a boldness that comes from confidence about their message and empowerment by the Holy Spirit. Confidence in their message and empowerment by the Holy Spirit. I mean, how, think about it. How can you blame these guys knowing what they've seen, knowing what they've experienced? Not too long ago, this, this, this past uh, Thursday, if I get my days correct, yes, Thursday, uh, I went to go speak at Zealand Christian's Chapel. And it was a ton of fun. They were a lively bunch, and I loved it. And I even looked at the story uh, where Jesus walks on the water. 
Because the theme that they have going on during uh, their, their chapel this year is being anchored in Christ. And we looked at this story of the disciples going from Jesus feeding 5,000 people with just a couple fish and loaves, uh, then going and walking on top of the water and ceasing the wind and the waves as, as they watch. And I love Peter in this story. Peter, this is pre-Holy Spirit Peter, he's like, well, Jesus is walking on the water. I want to do it too. And he says, well, Jesus, hey, if, if, uh, if, if you call me out to you, I, I, can, I can do it. So call, call me out. I want to come. And he comes. And Peter gets out and the waves and the winds are going. And, and it kind of gets a little bit more than he can handle. And he gets out there and he starts to have fear, starts to be afraid that maybe Jesus isn't who he says he is. Maybe he, he can't control these waves. Maybe I'm going to sink and this is going to be it for me and I should have stayed in the boat with the other guys. But no. Jesus reaches out to him and says, hey, you can trust me. He says, you have little faith. Why did you doubt? And so this same Peter, the Peter that experienced these things, experienced being pulled out of the water while standing on the water, uh, is the one standing before the Sanhedrin today, knowing what they've seen, knowing what they've heard, knowing what they've experienced, and seeing the promises of God being fulfilled in Jesus, have a boldness that comes from confidence in their message. There is no doubt that what they've experienced is true. There is no doubt that the things that Jesus says about himself are, are, aren't true. There's nothing that they can doubt. They are standing there with a the confidence knowing that, hey, whatever happens to me, I know that I'm in good hands. That's a pretty powerful place to be. There's not many places in life that we can have that confidence, but here Peter and John do. So what is the, the response of the religious leaders? Obviously, they were amazed. They were astonished, as it says in some of the, uh, the versions that you were looking at. I would venture to say there's probably a lot of confusion. An obvious miracle had taken place. They had just seen this guy. They knew of this guy. They'd walked past him on a, on a daily basis. An obvious miracle, uh, and, and as Peter says, a good deed has been done. This man was lame, and now he's not. And they can't deny him. On top of the fact that they can't tonight because he's standing right in the room with him, there's people out in the, in the temple courtyards who are praising the Jewish God. They are praising God for what has been done. Not some other type of God. They're not just saying, well, forget our God. We just have Jesus. But they're, they're praising God for what has been done. They're looking at Peter and John and amazed by their authority, amazed by the way that they teach, amazed at the truth that they offer, amazed that the man is standing right there and saying, well, what can we do? What can we even do? Even if, even if we did punish them, even if we did flog them, even if we did, we're, we're going to cause a riot because people are praising God for what has taken place. And so I love their response because it's like almost, almost childish. And here we go. It picks up. And since they saw the man who had been healed standing with them, they had nothing to say in opposition. After they ordered them to leave the Sanhedrin, they conferred amongst themselves, saying, What should we do with these men? For an obvious sign has been done through them, clear to everyone living in Jerusalem, so the message is already spreading, and we cannot deny it. But so this does not spread any further among the people. Let's threaten them against speaking to anyone in this name again. So they called for them and ordered them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. And I love it because pretty much all they have is, hey, just stop. We don't like this. Just, just stop. We, we, this is not something that we want you to do anymore. 
And I would imagine that Peter and John, with the confidence they have in the message and the things that they've seen, knowing that the power that they have in the Holy Spirit, had a little bit of a smile on their face. And Peter and John say, and answered them, whether it's right in the sight of God for us to listen to you rather than to God, you decide. For we are unable to stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. That's a powerful moment. The same Peter who was afraid to even be associated with Jesus just a few months ago is now saying, listen, you can say what you want, but here's, here's the deal. We, we can't listen to you before God. We can't listen to the, the advice of you just wanting us to stop preaching in the name of Jesus when we're called to be obedient to what Jesus has told us to do. God, we are, we are listening to God because we believe that Jesus is God. We are listening to him because that's what we're called to do. We have a confidence in our message. In other words, I would imagine Peter and John would, would just be just elated saying, listen, he rose from the dead. He rose from the dead. How can you deny that? If you saw the things that we saw, you wouldn't deny it either. If you heard the things that Jesus said, if you heard, if you were in the conversations that we saw or that we heard from Jesus, the questions that he answered us, the way that he spoke, the way that he treated people, if you had experienced what we experienced, there is no way that you would do anything different than what we're doing right now. This is the only response, that there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to people by which we must be saved. This is a powerful moment. And like I said, I, I just would love to have been sitting in the room and watching this encounter take place. I would imagine if they were to ask the guy who had been healed, he would have been like, listen, how can you deny this? How can you not want to follow them? How can you not want to listen to, to this idea that, that Jesus is the Messiah? So what, is this, what does this mean for us? When we look at this story and we see this example, this incredible encounter of Jesus' uh, Jesus's power being displayed through Peter and John, healing a man, going before these religious leaders of the time, what does it mean for us? Well, I think there's another, there's a simple answer. The simple answer is that there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to people by which we must be saved. But I think we can take it even further. That same power that Peter and John have that they received at Pentecost is the same power that we have today. We don't get a watered-down version. We don't get a, like an expired version because it happened so long ago. The same power that exists today is the same power that the disciples had. On top of that, the confidence our message that we can have the same confidence in our message. The truth has not changed. The gospel has not changed. We can we can go forth knowing that what is true is still true. And if the Great Commission is true and meant for, for all believers, which it is, it says, if all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth, this is Jesus talking, go for the, therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you, and remember that I am with you always to the end of the age. If that's true, 
and our message is true, that the gospel is true, that we have been changed by God's power and changed because of the resurrection, if all of that is true, and we've received the Holy Spirit, if that's true, we can have the same boldness and the same courage, and we can go into the places that God is calling us knowing that we are protected, knowing that the hand is ready to be there, knowing that we are not alone. We see over and over again in Scripture, as as God commands his people to do things, he calls them to places, he says, I want you to do this, but I'm with you. I want you to go and tell these people about this, but I'm with you. Hey, what you're going to experience is going to be hard, but I'm with you. This same encounter is no different. As Peter and John are standing before the Sanhedrin, they know that God is with them. They know that God is a God who keeps his promises. And so what does this look like in your life? It means there's going to be people in your life that maybe God calls you to go have a conversation with. Maybe there's conflict in your life that God is calling you to go and treat in a a God-honoring, biblical way. Maybe there's a relationship that needs help. Maybe marriage is hard. Maybe family situations are difficult. Or maybe God is calling you to open the door and just say, God, what would you have me do? And I believe that our, our response is to be obedient. As we, as we continue in the story in the next couple of weeks as we unfold, we're going to see some pretty amazing things happen. We're going to see people gathered in prayer, praising God for the protection of Peter and John. We're going to see religious leaders saying, listen, if, if, if we... If this is from God, we can't stop this. We're going to see some pretty amazing things, but what I want us to walk away with today is that there is power in the name of Jesus. You see it over and over again. There is power in the name of Jesus. We can have confidence in our message of the gospel because we have the power of the Holy Spirit in us. And lastly, we are not alone. We have our Heavenly Father with us. We have our brothers and sisters in Christ with us. One of the things that we keep, I keep learning the experience in our community group is that we have each other. We can pray with one another. We can share joys with one another. We can share hardships with one another. We can share uh, everything about what's going on in our life, knowing that we have people who care about us and loving us in that room. And we've only been meeting, like, what, three times, four times? I don't know. But I'm seeing this incredible picture of what community is supposed to look like. That we are not alone. That God has provided exactly what we need and who we need in our life to accomplish the things that he's called us to do. So where in your life are you going to be obedient to God's calling? Where in your life are you going to rely on the confidence of the message of the gospel? Where in your life are you going to rely on the Holy Spirit in you that you have right now? Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you that you are good. We thank you that you are faithful. We thank you that even when things are hard or when things seem just unbearable or things seem so difficult that we cannot handle them on our own, we know that we are not alone and that you are with us, God. I pray for a lifestyle, a a way of living that relies on the gospel that relies on the confidence that we have, knowing that we have seen and heard amazing things, seen and heard life change. 
I pray as we walk away here that we would walk away with a boldness and a courage that comes from knowing that you are good and faithful and keep your promises. Give us the hearts to be obedient. Give us the hearts to love others more than fear awkward situations. To, to serve others more than try to serve ourselves. And we pray this in your son's name. Amen.